Welcome back. It's Howl History. Derek and Chad in your ear holes once again. How's it going, Chad? Good. Ear holes, huh? <laughs> you gotta go with it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I need you to tell me uh, what you're going to do when there ain't no way to run. When the judgment comes for you. Is this Bad Boys? No. This is Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, what you going to do when they come for you? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that rolls into it, too. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's Crossroads. Duh. Hello. Hello. Did you see that uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony and TLC are going on tour together? What's left of them? Yeah. Yes. Soon. Man, I just remember that like one summer you could not escape Crossroads and Waterfalls. They were the only two songs on the radio. Is that the same summer? Same summer. I gotta be honest. The only song I remember from that summer is Waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> it was everywhere. It was legit everywhere. Oh, I just remember hearing those songs so often. Yeah, that was like one of those ones for me. Like it was a it was a jam when it first came out, and then for Waterfalls anyway. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got so like overwhelmed by it because it was on all the time that I kind of quickly got sick of it. Yeah, and I <laughs> like TLC. Yeah, there's a lot of their music I like, but I just that. That album, I'm trying to remember what song was on. There was a different song on there that wasn't like on the radio a ton. That it was on the radio, but it wasn't like wasn't like Waterfalls. Right. That my favorite on that album that I always would go back to. But the Waterfalls got to be so sickening. It was on so much. I think those no. were two of the first music videos that I remember distinctly. Well, what's funny is I remember one of my first music. Well, it's not even one of my first ones, but so I'm a whole generation ahead of you then because like they're the TLC's first album the album before that mm-hmm. there was a song that their video that i remember from one of the first ones yeah i don't know if you're a whole generation before me i mean you're older than i am but at the same time like i was very sheltered until like mid 90s I, I didn't we didn't have cable i didn't you know have music if you would have asked me who my favorite band was up until i was like 13 years old i probably would have said like the blenders which are an acapella group my parents took me to see at a convention center one time like i had no idea so well, my mom so my mom was a single mom. My, my parents got divorced after fourth grade. And so she had four boys. And so the, my first concert I went to, yeah. you probably even know who they are, is the Jets. Oh, I know who you the know Jets them? are. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I do now. And, I wouldn't have at the time, but I do now. Yeah. yeah. They were, and they were just at the state fair. So okay. it wasn't like an issue. And then the second one I went to was New Kids on the Block because yeah. my mom wanted to see them. <laughs> <laughs> so she got my brother and I tickets for New Kids on the Block. Okay. Which ended up being cool because then like all the girls wanted to talk to me about the concert that yeah. whole like, week leading up to it i can't including... remember if i've told this story before but the first concert the first real concert i ever went to was a britney spears concert and it was because um i had a friend who had gotten me wild tickets as a birthday present in high school you and traded her? no <laughs> she so she had graduated the year before and her mom was able to get wild tickets, so she, like, through her work. So she got me a couple, and she just knew it was close to my birthday, so she was going to give them to me. But she was dating a guy, another guy that I knew, and she asked him to give them to me. And he ended up using them and never telling me that he had them. <laughs> so I never got the wild tickets, and she felt bad. But the only other thing she could get access to were Britney Spears tickets and asked if I wanted to go with, like, her and two of her friends who were also going to the concert. And I was like, oh, I might as well. <laughs> so, so I saw Britney Spears at the Target Center. I think it was their like second album, and that's what happened to us with the um, new kids. Was we go? So my brother, myself, my mom, and one of her friends. When we're sitting down there, we had like eleventh row or something okay. nuts, and so a couple of the girls from 
my high school were there in, in different parts of the arena. And this was like before cell phone days or anything, but they like somehow spotted me during the intermission between one of the opening acts and them. In fact, one of the opening acts was Dino. Remember right. Dino? Yeah. The ooh child. Um, <laughs> it was him and some other girls. And I don't remember who the girls were, like the cover girls or something. Yeah. But anyway, it was between one of the opening acts. So they came down and they kind of wanted to hang out in our row for a while because we were obviously, they were in the upper deck and we were 11th row. So I was, uh, that was cool for like three days. All right. Yeah, you roll with it. I think I saw O Town as an opener. O Town? Yeah. Yeah, I remember them as well. It was like O Town, 98 Degrees, and Britney Spears. It was uh, not exactly a concert I would have paid money to, to attend. You know, and most of the concerts, I, I haven't been to a lot of concerts, um, but the ones I've been to are all relatively embarrassing. They're not like, there, there's none that they're I They're all relatively all. embarrassing? Yeah, I don't. I, I can't think of one that, because there, none of them were like, concerts that i went to because it was somebody i was the big fan of yeah right like it was like i went because you know my girlfriend was going or my friends were going or whatever it was it was never like oh i'm buying tickets for this concert so you know they're embarrassing to me because it's not like there's nothing cool in there like you know prince like i would have loved to have seen prince sure live never saw prince live but would have killed to do that i did i did see a really cool one um uh, blanking on their name. What the hell? Um, Christina Aguilera. No. Voice to it, it was like a uh, skater band, rock band. Um, Ever Levine. Blink-182. No, way before that. It was like in the Chili Peppers era. Um, chili before, Peppers. Or right around the Chili Peppers. <laughs> chili Peppers. <laughs> Faith No More. Okay. Yep. I, I went to a Faith No More concert because a friend of mine was a big time skater. And, um, he got like, we were at this event and they just started handing out tickets for, and we had no idea who they were. And we went and like both of us became huge fans right away. That's were, cool. It was actually a really cool show. So yeah. that one was cool. But again, it wasn't like I planned it out. <laughs> so <laughs> I've seen, but Foo, I, I've seen the Foo Fighters a couple of times. I bought tickets to see Muse a few years ago. Um, but besides that, I've never been a big concert goer. It hasn't really been a yeah, thing for me. So my thing, like I love music, but yeah. Going to the concerts, like, I mean, maybe it's because the concerts I've been to that, you know, you're kind of, like, disappointed, and then you're like, uh, I don't really want to go see somebody I really like. I know. Should we host a Howl History Night at the Bone Thugs and TLC concert? Should we get everybody to meet us and go out? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> that might be an odd crowd. Your face on that one was not a... <laughs> that was a no. the whole story. Abort! Abort! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we, we've been relating Bone Thugs and TLC, uh, and we thought uh, along the same vein we'd come in this week and take a look at uh, the Phoenix Suns, who, if you haven't heard, are in the NBA Finals uh, out of the Western Conference. They defeated the LA Clippers 4-2. to um, This is a Timberwolves podcast, though, so instead of just talking about the Suns and uh, what they can do and how good they've been and uh, how much we love uh, Chris Paul and the roster they've put together, we thought we'd relate it back to the Timberwolves and see... If we could figure out what pieces the Wolves have that match up with their, their current roster, how far away the Wolves might be, um, which pieces might kind of fit into that mold. Because I think, Chad, as you look at it, the Suns aren't a team that rolled in as a heavy favorite. They're not a team that has a juggernaut. They're not even a team that has a real MVP candidate on the roster, as much as people said that Chris Paul should have gotten it for the impact that he made coming over. Um, it's a team that was assembled with the hopes that things would fall right and they'd make it into the, you know, they'd get a chance. And they did this year. Everything kind of broke their way with Anthony Davis going out in the first round, Jamal Murray being out in the second round, and Kawhi being out in the third round. They 
they found their you know their the gap in the system that they needed to make it to the finals out of the Western Conference. But I think as a as a Minnesota fan, a fan of a small market, a non glamour market, that's what we're, we're hoping for. You know, I don't think anybody any of us are sitting over here hoping that we're going to get a, a run of six championships in eight years, a la the Chicago Bulls, or even you know three out of four like the Golden State Warriors. We're just kind of hoping for you know to get that one. You want to give yourself a, a chance. And, uh, you know, that's what we still hold on to from 03-04. We still, you know, still claim that if Cassell hadn't gotten injured, the Wolves would have had a, a legitimate chance. And that was a very similar season for Minnesota. You know, you get a, t- a top record, you get home court advantage, and you just hope you get some injury luck and you make your way uh, to the championship. It didn't work out that year, but um, it's working out for the Suns. Um, what have you enjoyed most out of, out of their run so far? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest Chris Paul guy. Um, I think he's a terrific player, but I, I think they were on a roll in the bubble last year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're eight and zero, so I think they were kind of putting the pieces together even before Chris Paul. So Chris Paul just was sort of the final piece. Yep. Um, I didn't think he was even in the top five for MVP personally because I thought he was getting a lot of credit for their success, which I think that team wouldn't have been as good as they were this year, but they still would have been probably a top four team, I think. Um, in the West, anyway, and so my what I've liked is the, the development of DeAndre Ayton. I thought he's I, I liked him as a rookie, mm-hmm. and this is feels like the first season where he's sort of validated his you know being picked number one. Yeah, um, and I mean, then, Luca is going to go down as the best player out of that draft, but at least if you're for Phoenix, sure. I mean, and the same thing for Atlanta and the Eastern Conference with Trey Young. At least you're sitting there, and you, you know, like. We don't have Luca, but our team isn't the same with him as opposed to who we ended up with, and we're pretty happy with the guy that we got. Right, right, and, and even in that going into that draft, you and I, you know, this is, that predated the podcast, but yeah, both like Luca the best going into that draft, and um, so I, I expected him to be the best player, but I liked Aiton a lot as well. I and I just you know you could see the way that the league was going that big men just weren't being as valued as high, you know down the road. And so Phoenix is one of those teams that still was going to take a big man because, um, they saw a fit there. Yeah. And so, and then Booker, you know, I, I like, I like his game. And then the final piece for me that I really like, cause I've been a huge fan of his since his Boston days is Jay Crowder. Um, that guy is just a Swiss army knife. You put him in anywhere and he fits, you know, he's just, he's a terrific player. He's the type of glue guy that every good team needs that he can pick up the slack and, multiple different ways he's not going to take over the game and scoring for you but he can uh he can get you a big bucket when you need it because he can just bowl guys over and he can hit a three here and there um he's just i can't say enough good things about him as a player i really like him well and he knows all the tricks too the ones that make it kind of infuriating to watch him sometimes that every you know so the stopping and getting run over or the flailing his arms whenever somebody bumps into him he's you know he has all the veteran tricks to try to get the whistle or to get the the momentum and it you know I've been I've watched him a few times, especially during these playoffs, and thought, you know, with him and Chris Paul on the same team, there's a lot of that, and just kind of like, oh man, you know, I, I remember the days before, the you know the ref baiting was kind of a thing, or before you had to exaggerate in order to get the ref to actually call a foul. I don't know if it's so much that they're trying to bait the ref into calling an improper foul, as much as most of the time it's just players have to exaggerate the contact in order to let the the ref know that contact actually happened because these guys are so big. They can get, you know, the hell slapped out of their arm and the ref's never going to know it because right. they could go right through it. So, And it's uh, that way with all sports, you know, it's, yep. it's kind of gotten that way. It's like I just a friend of mine on Facebook the other day just posted a meme of uh, a, a female soccer player 
just bleeding out of their nose right. and her teeth are all bloody. And then they show in the same, it's a, it was a meme video, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, it showed her just turning and walking away after she gets blasted in the face. She just keeps playing. And then they show like Ronaldo, like a phantom, the guy's arm swings up and doesn't even touch him. And he yeah. drops down holding his face. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's not, that's not a toughness thing. It's that's a trying to get the refs to, you know, it's not like he's a wimp for going to, he's going, he, he's acting, he's going yeah. down, you know, and, and it, it's, it is super frustrating. It is. It's, I, I don't think Crowder's as big of a culprit of that as other, I mean, Chris Paul definitely. Is I don't think Crowder's a flopper. I think he's the one who exaggerates the contact to let He does do some of that. Happened. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, he, he does what the stars do. It, yeah. I think what's annoying when it, Crowder does it is he's not a star. Mm-hmm. But, like, you see the LeBrons. I mean, you see all the stars do that, yep. you know. Um, and Booker is probably one of the better players, yeah. star players at that, of not over-exaggerating right, he things. Just plays, he, calls. Right. he just plays. Steph Curry's another one like that. To me, he just plays. He doesn't do a lot of the, you know, extra stuff after a shot or whatever, trying to fall down. And um, But you, you watch some of those games. I mean, like, Kyrie Irving falls down on every single play, mm-hmm. it seems like. Um, James Harden does a lot of that. Um, there's a, you know, there's a lot of guys in the league that are hard to watch from that standpoint because you, you know, they they get every call too yeah. because they're they got the name. Absolutely, but they've been they've been rocking it. You know, they rolled through Denver. You know, Suns in four. If you haven't heard it, um, they you know they beat the Kawhi-less Clippers four two, and they beat the Lakers uh, in six. You know, once again without the brow available for a majority of those games so who knows what would happen with the other teams at full health but they're here they're making it to the finals and um, I think it's a team that we've related the Timberwolves to quite quite often you know partially because it was a team that up until last year hadn't made the playoffs in a long period of time Um, they did have that run in the bubble and you know a lot of Wolves fans looked at the the close to this season trying to win games trying to be as competitive as possible trying to build some momentum as very Suns like you know they didn't go 8-0 to finish the season they're more like a 500 team than a you know a undefeated team but at the same time they they really tried to build up uh, what they can do and show how their team meshes together and try to build something for next year so um i figured you know let's let's get together let's, let's take a look at the two rosters comparatively and see where the biggest gaps are between where the timberwolves are now and where the suns are now and see uh, you know try to see where you know what some of the moves could be that we could do to fill those gaps um, real quick i do want to change my answer i forgot about the suns and four guy that's that's my favorite part of this whole <laughs> The emergence of his stardom, yep, just you know, popping to Denver fans, and then he's he's got his own action figure now. You yeah, I that? saw that. Yep, they got Pretty T-shirts awesome. of him that are handed out outside the arena. Yep, I, I thought it was quite ironic though that they like handed out T-shirts outside the arena of the Suns and Four guy, and then at the end of the game when the crowd was starting to get rowdy, they did like a PA announcement like asking their fans to be civil and to, and you know, not engage in any type of violence. Yeah, they're walking the, the tightrope line. They really are, yep. <laughs> Way to go, Phoenix. But, but uh, okay, so let's start with the, the starting lineup. And I think the first place to start, um, at least for me when I was taking a look at it, was the Towns and Edwards comparatively to Booker and Ayton. And I think that there are multiple ways that you can look at it. It's not necessarily Towns equals Ayton and Edwards equals Booker because of the positions. I think you could look at it that way. You could also look at it as Towns equals Booker because of the, their years in the league and their status on a team you know being considered kind of high stat low win type guys just waiting for the right team around them and then Aiton and Edwards as the young guys coming in trying to fill the the complimentary role you know to really round out the 
the weaknesses or lift up those other guys. So um, I think, I, you know, Town, you wouldn't say that Towns and Edwards are at the same level as Aiton and Booker right now, but that's really just because Aiton has three years in the league and Edwards only has one. I would say that, you know, if you're, if you're looking at the Wolves and you're trying to figure out, like, you can say, yes, we have those two spots answered moving forward, unless you, unless you, unless you disagree. No, I, I think we have the two guys who their ceiling is actually quite a bit higher because I do think, I think Towns is clearly superior to Aiton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Booker and Ant are already closer than they have any right to be. Right. <laughs> based on the fact that Ant's only a rookie. I mean, Booker's still a better player. Don't get me wrong. But I do think Ant has a, a better than 50-50 chance to be as good or better than Booker as an overall player. Um, so I, I think we could, in two years, have the two better players of those four, the two best players of those four. Yep, you know, and if Towns can continue to commit to defense the way that he did this last year, I mean, even if he's league average at defense as a center, I think that the two of them can match up with what what Aiton and Booker provide to the Suns. So um, that's going to be the the positive here, um, and the the clear, you know, one to one match for when we're looking at how these teams, you know, mesh up moving forward. Um, the next closest for me actually is going to be the McDaniel and McDaniel's or Jane McDaniel's and Mikhail Bridges comp and we're still a couple years away from that because Bridges has proven himself over the last three years to you know get better every single year and to be one of the top wing defenders in the league so we can't go out there and say McDaniels is there right now he's obviously a prospect he's somebody that we have a lot of hopes in and we've even said you know he's off the table if we're looking at Ben Simmons trades you know if you want to go that far but um, I think that he's a player that we hope can get to there is if nothing more than a, a three and D wing but somebody that can be a really legitimate perimeter stopper yeah, you know, so it's interesting you compared those two, and I don't necessarily disagree. I, I know why you're doing it that way. I, I sort of lock or lined him up with McDaniels with Crowder mm-hmm. and Beasley with Bridges. Um, and and part of it's because I don't think any of those four guys are that similar. They're This is where they start to get different enough, right. so now you're just comparing talent level versus talent level. Um, so I, I get why, and then ages, you know, so I get why you were comparing those two. Um, to be honest with you, this is another one where, again, Bridges might have the edge right now, um, but I wouldn't trade Jaden McDaniels for Bridges at all right now, like straight up. I wouldn't. If they offered me Bridges, I would hang up the phone if it had to be McDaniels. That's how high I am on Jaden McDaniels. Sure, yeah. I, um, and maybe part of that's fit, too. I mean, like, I also don't think McDaniels would fit Phoenix as well as he fits minnesota right now mm-hmm. um so they might feel the same way right like so i mean a team um, that's in the finals obviously feels the same way you don't mix it up unless you have a good reason right to. well yeah, yeah yeah um but even if they didn't let's say we're you know at the beginning of the playoffs and they don't know that they're gonna you know like you said they've had a lot of fortune go yep. their way yep. with teams getting hurt you know if the clippers had Kawhi, who knows what happens in that series um no i still liked phoenix to beat the clippers even before Kawhi got hurt but um you know, they the Lakers probably would have been the favorite to beat them had they been fully healthy. So who knows what happens there? But yeah, I I just for me we're still right there with them with those first three players on each team that you brought up. I think we're we're in a good position. Again, we're behind. We're a yep. year or two behind them, but I still think we're talent for talent. We're in a as good a position or a superior position. Yeah, if you're looking at you know trying to get to where the Suns are over the next two years, you're there hasn't been a gap so far that makes you cringe. You know it hasn't gotten to that point. So um, 
you know, and I, I I do like Bridges. I probably like Bridges more than McDaniel's. I you know maybe you're right. Maybe we wouldn't trade McDaniel's because of that gap in where we're at in our progression. You know, we're hoping that McDaniel's can progress over the next two years and continue to grow um, along with the rest of the roster. Him and Edwards going, you know, kind of coming up at the same time. Whereas Phoenix needs Bridges to be the best that he can be right now. So um, it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense for either team, I don't think, to make that deal. But um, Bridges is, you know, I re- I'm a big fan. You know, when we did our redrafting the NBA, I took him in the second round. So I think he'd be a, a, good, a nice piece and a, a good two man pairing with really anybody. And he's probably their fourth best player. So yeah, he's been terrific. You know, in this entire playoffs, watching yeah. him. You know hit big shot after big shot like and not not necessarily long shots but like contested layups i mean he's been that's what it's impressed me so well you know he just goes in he's fearless driving in through the paint and hitting these really difficult acrobatic shots and mm-hmm. they like every time he drives i'm like oh that's going in yeah you know, it doesn't matter if there's two or three guys in the paint um he somehow finds a way to get it to go down yeah you know so i i like that matchup i know that you compared mcdaniels to crowder and it's probably because of their their three, four comboness. Um, hopefully, you know, Fink, Coach Finch gets his way this upcoming year. McDaniel's can be a, a permanent, you know, small forward and take on the best point of, you know, be the best point of attack defender out there. And we do get a, a more legitimate power forward because if you're looking at Crowder and if we do match up McDaniel's with Bridges, that means Vanderbilt is probably the the best matchup with Crowder um, in the starting lineup. And that's not necessarily because their skills match up one for one um, extremely well, but. I think Vanderbilt and Crowder as defenders are very similar. I think that Vanderbilt, if I think they took a, I saw a tweet, and I can't remember who it was from, but they ranked bigs in terms of different types of defense this year. Um, and they said who was the best big at each type of defense. And they said the best perimeter defense big in the league, according to their metrics, was Jared Vanderbilt. I saw that as well. Um, yeah. So I think that they get the ability to switch, the ability to move out onto, onto perimeter players, you know, very, in a very much Jay Crowder like role but also have the the body size to play down low if necessary i think vanderbilt fits really well i mean it's the reason why anytime you looked at actual impact on the floor vanderbilt was always near the top for the timberwolves because he put in that hustle he put in the effort and no he is not always pretty and his offense isn't always there but um, anybody out there who's really making that type of an impact on the defensive end especially on a team that's so bereft of defenders is going to be valuable so um, so if you took a look at him defensively and compared that to where Crowder is, and then you considered the fact that Towns is already spreading the floor for Minnesota while Aiton isn't. So if Vanderbilt is playing the Aiton role on offense, he's not as good. He doesn't have good hands. He can't do anything in the low post. He's really just a, a role guy that can't catch the ball. So that's the biggest problem right now. But um, at least in terms of fit and style and who's playing what role, if you know Towns and Vanderbilt is similar to Aiton and Crowder, even if there's a... a very sizable gap in talent between Crowder and Vanderbilt. Yeah, and that's so. After those first three guys that we talked about, the, the comparisons kind of fell apart for me. Not because of necessarily a talent gap, but because the players are all just so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least of the key guys, um, there might be some role players that can match up better. And so that's part of the reason why I have McDaniel's compared to Crowder is because I think McDaniel's can guard all the positions like Crowder, but he also is a similar level offensive player as Crowder. Um, he's not the nifty, you know, he's not going to get the ref calls like you, we talked about a minute ago. But right. um, but that's why I compared him there. Whereas long term, in order for this Wolves team to work as the Phoenix Suns, you know, sort of um, ascension plan, I don't think Vanderbilt can be a starter. I think right. he's a solid bench player. He would have to be um, significantly but, better on offense in order to be a starter. Right. Yep. I and mean, that's why I had McDaniels compared to Crowder, because I think he can be a starter on mm-hmm. a really good team. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, he is on defensively him and Crowder match up pretty well. You know, as you pointed out, I think they do have a lot of similarities there. Um, but offensively Crowder's so far ahead of Vanderbilt that advantage Phoenix. It, it is, and that's the first significant advantage. And the problem when we were taking a look at adding a power forward to this roster has been a constant topic of communication on any podcast you listen to about the Timberwolves is what are we going to do about the power forward position? Is it going to be uh, Ben Simmons, you know, pie in the sky trade? Is it going to be uh, Miles Turner? Are we going to, you know, try to go after John Collins and offer him the max and find a way to clear the cap room for that? You know, I don't think anybody knows what we're going to do. You know, we're going to go down a level, look at a guy like Dwight Powell, Dwight Powell, who I think is somebody that a uh, Brit brought up on the on the Dane Moore podcast the other day. Um, it's just there are options there, but if we're looking at the gap between Vanderbilt and Crowder, we can't just get to the Crowder level because we also need to make up the gap between D'Angelo Russell and Chris Paul in our starting lineup. And that's the problem with Crowder, the, the advantage of a guy like Crowder, because Crowder's got similar playoff experience as Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, he's everywhere he's gone, he's won. He's yep. been a winner on every team he's ever gone to. And so having a guy like that in a position, he, you know, that's, you know, like all the guys you just mentioned that are, are, people are talking about for the Wolves, the other thing they're trying to make up for is they're they're trying to have that four be a rim protector. And that's not really Crowder's skill set either. No. So there again, even if we got one of those guys, it's a different type of player than what Jay Crowder is. And it's none of those guys had playoff experience, the guys we're talking about, um, outside of Ben Simmons, who, again, if we get Ben Simmons, you know, I get him playing at the power forward. But I also think to get him, you're probably losing D'Lo, and then he has to play point guard. Right. Because you're not going to start Ricky and Ben Simmons together. Or you're, you know, you're Yeah, I mean, I think broke. everybody really wants to, to latch on to the idea of Ricky and Beasley plus two picks. And then, you know, for Ben Simmons and then letting Philly to swap some of those picks for a guy like Kyle Lowry or whatever it happens to be. I just, I would be surprised. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I would be surprised if that's the best offer Philly gets if they decide to move Ben Simmons. Yeah, and and that was part of the trade scenarios that I had last week as well was Beasley and Rubio Mm -hmm. and two picks. Um, But it was also part of a three-way, which is the only way I think that one works, is if the, the best offer they get is might be the wolves offer but it's not the best fit so they bring in a third team so they can maybe keep the picks and you know trade away yeah beasley you know and get a, a better fit to go along with ricky in that situation or, or vice versa you know maybe they want to keep beasley and get rid of ricky but then they don't have a point guard so yeah um i mean that's where know. i think that's where everybody is taking a look at would kyle lowry fit in a sign and trade because you don't traditionally have to send back equal value in a sign and trade kyle lowry might say he just wants to play in philly anyway and they need to send some back compensation because they don't have the cap space so if you can move ricky and a protected pit you know one of those protected picks from minnesota for kyle lowry in a sign trade all of a sudden it's kyle lowry and beasley in a pick and philly might be better than they are with ben simmons so it's like all of the pieces have to fall in correctly right, in order to right. make that work but and, you know, and, to, and then yeah. even after that you have to wonder are the wolves really willing to have three max players on a team that hasn't won yet mm-hmm. you know and i don't know the answer to that i know you know doogie's reported that they're extremely eager to try to make a deal work for simmons but that doesn't mean Delo's not involved in that deal right, right. so that they still would only have the two max guys yeah because what are they going to do if they have three max guys and you have anthony edwards in a couple years who you're gonna i mean at that point know? he's looking for max at the same time that Delo is probably expiring, so you're making probably a decision probably, then. but yeah. you know, then you're breaking up a team that's probably a playoff perennial playoff yeah. team, you know. Yeah. So 
I don't know, like, um, you have some tough choices to make either now or down the road. So you absolutely do. And you know, so even if you do get a bad guy like Ben Simmons, is he enough of an upgrade to say, you know, we've already said, you know, if in our opinion, if you have Towns, McDaniels, and Edwards, that they can equal in at least in a couple of years, or the hope is they can equal what Booker, Bridges, and Aiton give Phoenix. So if you had Russell and Simmons, would you say that that is as equally valuable as Chris Paul and Jay Crowder? But before we answer that question, now's as good a time as any for a break, so we're going to bring you to the very first issue of 90s Notes. All right, we're taking a little break here. This is uh, 90s Notes, the very first edition. We're going to take a little... uh, a little five to ten minute period here in the middle of the episode. We're going to try to start doing this moving forward so we can mix in the then and the now into every episode instead of alternating back and forth. So uh, we've been talking today about the difference between the Timberwolves roster and the Phoenix Suns uh, championship uh, contending roster. And we uh, thought it would be a little bit fun to compare today's Timberwolves roster and go the other way back to the second year Timberwolves, 1990-91, to see are we closer to the Phoenix Suns of this year or are we closer to a uh, bottom feeder Timberwolves team from earlier in their existence. So uh, Chad went through the roster. He took a look at where the Timberwolves are now uh, and their you know, the players on that we have now and um, took a look at the 1991 team and kind of compared them. So, Chad, what did you find in your research? So, actually, what I did is I looked for player comps league-wide okay. to the players from 1991. Ooh, right? I so, like that. I like that even better. Yeah, so it's really, it's like, okay, if we're going to look at the 1991 team, what ju- what is the best player comp for like a Tony Campbell or our you know our big draft pick Felton Spencer? And if we took those players, the, the modern era versions of those, what kind of record would that team have? Yeah. You know, to kind of that way we can kind of gauge whether that team was a success or not. There are a couple caveats here. One being the um, the, the style of play is so drastically different today mm-hmm. than it was in, in 1991. For example, the uh, the Wolves in the 1991 season. Average 99.6 points per game. They attempted 4.63 pointers as a team per game. <laughs> Gunslingers. They, they only made 1.3 <laughs> per game, which, you know, sounds atrocious. But I looked it up um, for the, that same year, the, the uh, Denver was the most, the highest three-point shooting team in the league in 1991, and they averaged only 12.9 attempts per game yeah so so essentially the wolves as a whole were ricky rubio on three-point shooting basically okay exactly right and and so the closest comp to that team for this year as a whole team before we get to the players would be the the 2021 cleveland cavaliers Uh, and they average 103.8 points per game so they still average you know four or five points a game more um but they averaged 29.7 three-point attempts Mm -hmm. per game and they made 10 of them uh, but that Timberwolves in 1991 averaged 89 field goal attempts per game, okay. and uh, Cavaliers this year averaged 85.8. So it wasn't the only difference between the style of play would just be the three pointers. Like, and that's funny because Bill Musselman teams traditionally were one of the slowest paced teams in the league. Right, they tried to slow which things down as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, which is why I looked it up just to say, okay, well, was that just a pace thing for us? And we were the second lowest. Okay. Google attempted teams per, uh, I believe that's right. That might be just the three pointers. Um, I can't remember if I actually looked at that, but regardless, it wasn't 
as bad as what you expected. You expected it to be, especially in this modern era of more field mm-hmm. goal attempts. It's really not a lot more field goal attempts. It's more of them being worth three points versus two points, sure. right? So, yeah. so the efficiency is just more so much than, higher. Right. It's yeah. the D'Antoni effect more than anything else. So I, I went through player by player, and I started with Ty Corbin because statistically, I think even though he wasn't our biggest scorer, he was our best all-around player. Okay. Um, and the closest comps, and some of these comps you'll you'll hear, some of them are guys that aren't very well known even in the NBA. So I tried to find the next closest one that everybody would know as well, just to make it a little bit easier. But for Tobias Harris was the first comp I had for Ty Corbin. Okay. Um, and Ty Corbin in that season, he averaged 18 points per game, seven rebounds, four assists, two seals. Tobias averaged 19.5, 6.8 rebounds, three and a half assists, and 0.9 steals. So Ty Corbin still had a significant advantage in steals. Um, so the second comp there was OG Anubi because of the steal factor. He he averaged still a half a steal less than Corbin at mm-hmm. 1.5, and he averaged less points than Corbin at 15.9. Um, and a, even rebounds was a, a one and a half less, and assists were a little less. But it's really hard to find a player who scored as much as Corbin, who also had that high many steals in today's era, okay. without it being like a superstar. Like Jason Tatum was really close across, on everything except for points. Right. Jason Tatum shooting how many threes, you know? And Ty Corbin's not Jason Tatum. <laughs> so No, we're not even going to pretend that it's the equivalent. No. But I bet Tobias Harris, you know, yep. solid offensive player. Comp. The second player I, I tried to find comps for is Pooh Richardson. This first comp is actually the closest one I could find, but it also sounds the most absurd. So in 1991, <laughs> Pooh Richardson averaged 17 points per game, nine assists, three and a half rebounds, and 1.6 steals, which are pretty good numbers. Is it Chris Paul? Chris Paul okay. is almost identical 16.4 points, 8.9 assists, 4.4 rebounds, and 1.4 steals. I mean, Pooh's actually better and more than right the statistically yeah sounds absurd right right but part of that is again the style of play there's less guys that are averaging around nine assists a game yeah in the nba today than there were in 1990 1991 you have so more that, assists coming from the other positions on the roster and less assists coming from point guards than you did correct then. yeah correct yep you have point forwards now you didn't that was yep. a, you also have yeah. shooting point guards more so than you did then right yeah and you have shooting guards who are really just combo guards mm-hmm. today you know so the the i had to find another comp that was a little bit more sane and the second comp i found was actually darius garland okay who another second year player which was this was who's second year garland averaged 17.4 six and 6.1 assists 2.4 rebounds and uh, 1.2 steals so pretty similar numbers to Pooh as well he didn't have the assist numbers but again right as we just pointed Nobody out does. Nobody yep. did yep the third player i looked for comps on was sam mitchell so Sam in 1990-91 had 14.6 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 1.6 assists. That's a big jump for Sam from year one to year two. It was, yeah. Any, any, uh, Read him any, off again. 14.6 points, 6.3 okay. rebounds, and 1.6 assists. I feel like there'd be a few guys that would fill that type of role. There are, and again, you know, the first one I found, okay. Kyle Kuzma. Okay. and 1.9 assists. Almost perfect match. Yeah. The second guy I found was Keldon Johnson. 12.8 points, 6 rebounds, and 1.8 assists. So pretty similar players. Again, this is why the Wolves were 
mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. the second worst team in the league, I believe, in 1991, when their third best player is Kyle Kuzma level of today, right? So the fourth player that I looked at was Tony Campbell. Okay. Biggest score for the Wolves, obviously, for the first few, few years of the, the franchise's history. Um, and the odd thing here is, so Tony Campbell in 1991 averaged 21.8 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 2.8 assists with 1.6 steals. The hardest thing to compare to find for him was a comp on the assist side because most shooting guards today average more assists because the point guards today average less assists. So right. those assists are being spread around as we just were talking about. And there's two guys that jumped out at me right away. So we've brought up Malik Beasley before. Did Beasley come up in this? Beasley was number okay. one, 19.6 points, 4.4 rebounds, and 2.4 assists. So he's still a little better in the assist category. And again, style of play is out yep. the window on this because we're only shooting four threes as a team versus, yep. I mean, Beasley was shooting that many himself. Um, the second comp was Anthony Edwards. Okay. He was at 19.3 points, 4.7 rebounds, and 2.9 assists. So Beasley and Edwards had almost the identical numbers mm-hmm. this year, which, to be honest, I didn't even really put that together until I did this little exercise. So I wanted to get away from the Wolves, so I, I actually grabbed two more comps okay. for Tony Campbell. And the, and the first one, non-Wolves-related, is Norman Powell. 18.6 points, three rebounds, and 1.9 assists. Uh, so the assists were actually a little bit more in line with what Tony Campbell averaged. And then the fourth one was another former Timberwolf, Andrew Wiggins. 18.6 points. Mm-hmm. 4.9 rebounds and 2.4 assists. Okay. Um, so, which was also funny to me that Andrew Wiggins looks very similar to the way Ant and Beasley, when you're just looking at yeah, yeah. They're their counting stats. Counting stats, yeah. So, fifth player I was looking at was our rookie in 1990 91, which was Felton Spencer. Yeah. Felton averaged seven points, 7.9 rebounds, so eight rebounds, and one and a half blocks per game in 1991. He did make second team all rookie team. Um, and so the first comp I found, I was looking for a young guy, Moses Brown. He averaged 8.6 points, 8.9 rebounds, and 1.1 blocks. In OKC? So, in OKC, yep. yeah. And very different players. Yep. Moses is very skinny, really long. He's he's probably more built like a Randy Brewer was, a little longer than Felton Spencer. Although Felton Spencer is pretty tall, too. But Felton Spencer is more of a plotting, big, yep. big guy. So the second comp I got was Jacob Poidel. Poidel? He averaged 8.6 Puddle? as well. 7.9 rebounds, which is identical to to uh, Felton Spencer, and 1.8 blocks, which is slightly better than Felton Spencer. You know the metrics say that Jake Puddle was like the third best defender in the NBA this year. Yeah, I the metrics guys have loved him for... <laughs> I know, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> like, I'm a big analytics fan, and I think that if you can put together numbers and you can figure out the way that they can give you insight that you wouldn't have had otherwise, but sometimes something just pops off that you're like, nah, that, yeah, I'm going to ignore that. It's kind of like the Vanderbilt being the best yeah. perimeter defensive big man right which you know you can see moments of that but you can also see moments where he looked completely lost so which is what you expect from a young player um and it's a couple more guys it's hard with the the 1991 wolves because as we talked about last season must didn't play guys yeah enough very much so randy brewer was one of those guys that did get he he almost split time with felton spencer okay the rookie but brewer only averaged 5.9 points 4.7 rebounds and 1.1 blocks so the first, so I'm looking for plotting big men here, okay, and yeah. unfortunately there's not a lot of plotting big men that fit statistically with him. Yeah. One did, and that was Alex Len. 6.6 points, 4.1 rebounds, and 1.1 blocks. So it lines up almost identical to Randy mm-hmm. Brewer. Uh, and then I, I grabbed two more. 
One is Nicholas Claxton, very different stylistically, yeah. but statistically very similar. 6.6 points, 5.2 rebounds, 1.3 blocks. And then another Wolf uh, toss-away player, Justin Patton. 5.4 sure. points, 3.8 rebounds, and 1.1 blocks. Where is he even playing now? Uh, I wanted to say OKC. I thought he I could left there, though. I, um, I didn't. I'm looking. I didn't even... I'm looking. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't know. Current team, Rio Grande Valley Vipers. That doesn't help me. <laughs> That's Houston, right? I think so. I believe it is. Uh, Minnesota, Philly, OKC, Houston. Yep, Houston. Next guy, Todd Murphy. You talked a lot about okay. him in the last season. Yep. Uh, he averaged 4.8 points, 4.9 rebounds. And he actually played 20 minutes a game. Sure, yeah. So I tried to find the first, the closest comp was Alizy Johnson from Brooklyn. Who I know nothing about. No, nope. five five point two points and five rebounds. <laughs> and he, but he did that in ten minutes a game for Brooklyn. Sure. So I, that wasn't a great comp. So I found Freddie Gillespie, who averaged five point five points and four point nine rebounds, and he played nineteen point eight minutes in Toronto. So right. he was the closest comp for Todd Murphy. And then we have our other rookie, which is Gerald Glass. Gerald Glass averaged 6.9 points and two rebounds a game. He only played about 12 minutes a game. And so this was also, these are where it gets a little dicey in these comparisons because they're guys I don't know anything about. Abdel Nader from Phoenix. Yeah, I looked at him earlier when we were doing our comparison. Yeah, 6.7 points, 2.6 rebounds. So he was a perfect comp and almost identical minutes as well. So he he was a good comp that way. Again, interesting coning stats stylistically. I couldn't tell you what Nader looks like stylistically. Um, the, another one was Jordan Nawara from Milwaukee, another playoff guy, 5.7 points and two rebounds a game. So, again, very similar similar minutes as well. And then the last comp I had for him, well, actually I had two, two more comps, but two more guys that we knew, um, one of which is Josh Okogi. Okogi averaged 5.4 points and 2.6 rebounds, very similar numbers, but Okogi played almost twice as many minutes as Gerald sure. Glass. Yeah. So a little bit different. And then last comp for Gerald Glass is Denzel Valentine. 6.5 points and 3.2 rebounds. Another guy played a little bit of shooting guard and small forward. Yep. Uh, Gerald Glass is probably more of a three and a four. Um, the final player I looked at, because he did play a lot of minutes yet for the Wolves in 1990-91, was Scotty Brooks. And Scott Brooks averaged 5.3 points and 2.6 rebounds. And by the way, he actually led the team in three-point attempts. There you go. Barely over Poo, he averaged 1.7 three-point attempts versus Poo's 1.6. The closest comp I found to him was Brad Wanamaker, who averaged 5.5 points and 2.9 assists for Charlotte this year. The other comp of a guy that is more uh, familiar to Wolves fans would be Jeff Teague this year in Milwaukee. He averaged (laughs) 6.7 points and 2.4 assists, and he played... Just uh, he he actually played about five more minutes a game than Scotty Brooks, but right. similar stats. Probably same amount of three point. Emptied <laughs> though. How many three pointers did he pass up where his team wanted him to shoot though? Probably zero mm, okay. since he was. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was interesting. I mean, you look at that team. If you took a, a, a all right. So line. so if I got my notes correctly, we have it now a team of Tobias Harris, Darius Garland, and Kyle Kuzma as our top three players. Malik Beasley as a shooting guard. And then we have Moses Brown, Alex Len, Freddie Gillespie, Abdul Nader, and Brad Wanamaker rounding out the the rotation. So uh, 
That is definitely an expansion level team. That's a bad team, yeah. right? <laughs> so it worked. I mean, in terms of like that was the exercise I wanted to do. Is just yeah, I wanted to would if you, if you compare it to modern era players because you know we talked a lot about it for the first season about like you know what what would have been realistic expectations for the eighty nine ninety wolves, um, you know, in terms of their record and you know being that they're an expansion team. But they had a lot of veteran type players because they were guys, either older rookies or, you know, the guy like Tony Campbell coming from uh, a playoff team and, and getting a bigger role. But that's what this roster looks like. When you look at the modern era, you're looking at guys like that. You know, you could get a, um, you know, a Brad Wanamaker to be your Scotty Brooks backup point guard. Um, or you could get a Darius Garland, who's your second year guy mm-hmm. that you're hoping is going to star. And maybe your best player for the next couple of years would be a Tobias Harris. But that team's looking like the bottom of yeah. the NBA stand. You're hoping so for the number one pick next year. Yeah, exactly. Well, good job, Chad. This was fun for the first ever uh, 90s notes. Let's uh, bring it back next week. We'll do another five or ten minutes, and we'll keep uh, progressing in our timeline. How's that sound? Great, man. Wonderful. All right. We'll bring you, you back can... to your normal episode. I'll bring the notes. You bring the uh, 90s jams. Love it. Is a starting lineup at that point, even if you trade for Ben Simmons, you don't have to give up, give up any other starters. Is our starting lineup yet yet even have the potential of getting to be as good as Phoenix's is right now? I think it's better potential. Yeah. I don't know if it fits together right quite as well. So, so that's the enigma about Phoenix right now is that they fit together so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like that that team was constructed brilliantly um, because you know their 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 best players are young in terms of the best talent, but their best performing players when the moment counts are, are older veterans who have won before. You know, it's just, we don't have anybody like that on this squad. No, you know, we don't have the Taj Gibson's, the um, Jimmy Butler's, the Chris Paul's, the Jay Crowder's like those kind of guys that can help a young team win. That was my, always my beef with Ryan Saunders as coach. While I like him, I still think he has a lot of potential to be a great coach. Sometimes you take a young team with a young coach like, where's the experience going to come from? Right. Um, you need somebody out there who can actually yeah. drive something. Yeah. At, at least just kind of like have a point of reference to like when they did it or, mm-hmm. you know, have the other player say, oh, yeah, like that's the guy. He, he's been here before. So now there's a, there's a pecking order established, you know, doesn't mean that they have to be the best player or the, the number one option. But at least, you know, OK, well, this guy, he's been in the playoffs a bunch. You know, we've you know, you got Towns is probably the most playoff ready guy we have and he's yeah. been in one series well i mean and, so. that, and that leads us to we're starting to look at the bench here a little bit but you know i in my notes about ricky rubio he probably matches up with campaign you know for what they're doing for phoenix just because of that backup point guard role but ricky is trying to fill on the wolves that same role that chris paul is filling with phoenix like right. except ricky doesn't have the experience he doesn't have the number of playoff games under his belt and he's just not as good as Chris Paul, so to, he can't step in and be that catalyst to a team to really drive winning. He can he can be the example. He can be you know Anthony Edwards' mentor. He can teach him how to work and to be committed. But to actually teach people how to win, you have to be on the floor. You still have to be one of those best players, which is what we saw to Jimmy and Butler and even Jeff Teague. As much as I hate to say it, you know when uh, Tibbs brought them in, 
it wasn't we already had talent in Towns and Wiggins the year before and even Rubio had been there but to bring in guys who had been in the playoffs before and had gotten that chance they they knew how to compete each and every night and to be a playoff team and and not only is he not as good as Chris Paul but his skill set's so different like yeah. Rubio's more Jason Kidd you know what Jason Kidd was to the Dallas Mavericks and yeah. even then Kidd, Kidd had already had a little bit better three-point more reliable three-point shot than when he hit got to the Mavericks he was yeah yep yeah for that um, championship run and so that's the other reason why i mean to your point why ricky won't be on the court in those kind of moments because like you know the other night we saw the clippers go on an 8-0 run and then chris paul just comes in and goes you know scores 16 out of the next 18 points he shot seven for eight from three in a a series deciding game yeah so you don't have that from your veteran on the team who's been there done that and and you're not going to and now you know, he, Rubio is supposed to kind of play that Chris Paul role, but on the flip side, we have more offensive firepower even now than Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what Rosas was thinking was, well, we don't need Ricky to be Chris Paul, the 16 of eight, 16 out of the next 18 points for this team, because we have Delo right. and Beasley yeah. and Ant and Towns, but we do need him to be able to play better defense than he did this season. Mm-hmm. And we do need him to be able to, get the offense going better, you know, than he had this season. We need him to be the Ricky Rubio that was we saw in Utah. Well, what they and, needed him to be was the point guard version of Jay Crowder. Right. And they right. did not get that this year. Right. So, I mean, it, he, you know, like you said, it gets a little messy once we start getting into the bench here and we start to try to figure out how, how guys are matching up in terms of actual value to the team. So, you know, Ruby match, Rubio matches up with Payne in his role. He matches up with Paul in his uh, value to the team. He matches up with... Uh, like we said, Jay Crowder and the the goal for what he was supposed to provide. He's, but you can't have, you can't have only bench guys as veterans. And I think that's you know kind of the trap that Minnesota's put themselves in. Even if they go trade for a guy like Ben Simmons or John Collins, they don't you know they're still not they don't have any veterans on the team in that starting lineup to really push them forward to be the guy who's been there and done it that they can look at and, and listen to and they can bring them all back together when things start getting rough. So, um, you know, are you gonna are you gonna pull? D'Angelo Russell and put in Ricky Rubio just because he's the veteran if things start you know start to get hard near the end of a playoff game if we ever get to that point I don't think you are so you need like with all the things that we look at and all the trades that we consider especially for a power forward or to bring in one of these guys it's like I know you want to talk about time frame and you want all these guys to be kind of coming up at the same time but how are you going to ever have somebody in the room to teach them how to win if they all have to figure out how to do it together right and and, and then with a coach who you know, at least in Ryan Saunders' case, was super inexperienced. You know, in uh, Finch's case, he's this is his first head coaching job in the NBA, but he's been around for you know decades coaching. So mm-hmm. a little bit more experience there. But again, it's not a guy that's done it either. So it's you know, I say again, where does that experience come from? You know, you look at we talked once before, kind of comparing what Miami did. You know, uh, because of Spolstra being promoted the way Saunders was, but the difference there is Spolstra had. Pat freaking Riley yeah, behind the scenes, helping him mentor him, all that. And Ryan had a, a mess. Like he had, you know, laden. And then now he's got Rosas or had Rosas before they let him go. But, um, Rosas was also a first time GM. So with, you know, experience only as the number two or number three guy in, in a front office, he wasn't Pat, right? Pat Riley's the most experienced right guy in NBA, you know I mean? Between his, years playing coaching and now GMing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, how do you replicate that? And, and now in, in Phoenix, 
you know, I like what they do with James Johnson now as the GM and Monty. It's been an awesome coaching mm-hmm. decision for them. Um, but Monty's in a similar role as Finch. I mean, he, this isn't his first stop, but he's one of those guys that... He was also you know, well-respected in his first stop, too, right. though. I mean, he stepped away right. for personal reasons. He worked his way back up. He got another chance. So um, I don't think the, I don't think Monty was ever looked at as a Ryan Saunders. Or, no, no, no. No, that's what I'm yeah. saying. It's, he was looked at more like what Finch has looked at now is yeah. what I'm... I'm comparing. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. So, uh, you know, and another big difference that I see in the benches um, is not always so much in talent uh, between the two the two benches. And maybe it is. I mean, maybe that's why you look at a team that's in the NBA Finals and a team that won 27 games this last year is the talent is more obvious than we as Timberwolves fans want to admit. Or the talent gap, I should say, is more obvious. But, um, but if you take a look at, you know, Malik Beasley, if he's going to be a sixth man, and Josh Okogie, you know, they, the roles that they're matching up with are probably Cam Johnson and Torrey Craig, um, where I wouldn't say that Cam Johnson and Torrey Craig are more talented than Malik Beasley and Josh Okogi, especially with the role that Beasley's carved out for himself, the skill set that he's shown. But it's just a different type of team building where Phoenix has a bunch of bigs on their bench. They have a lot of power forwards, all of which can shoot, all of which enjoy contact. I mean, even if you look, take a look at the Nas Reed versus Dario Saric comparison like i'd take reed right now or sharich especially at the price tag but sharich is just has that bulk and he enjoys contact so much more than reed we don't have any like we don't have any bigs on our bench that enjoy banging you know which i think is just something that phoenix has really built a a reputation on they've got just a lot of bodies to throw at you yeah and in the playoffs that would really hurt the the wolves team i mean i think Vanderbilt would be a bench player and would be Mm -hmm. you know Buying a Bane. I just don't know that he's ever going to be the the scorer that you can rely on in the paint. To you know, he'll he, defensively he can bang with anybody, yeah. but offensively, you know, I don't think you're feeding him the ball. No, um, like you could, you know, you could feed Frank Kaminsky. You know, um, if you if you needed to, you could feed you know Dario. Um, you can get them buckets when you need one. If if that's your your benches out on the floor um with the wolves you can get buckets from Nas, but they're not going to be in the paint they're nope. going to be three-point shots or or I mean, they might be in transition he might get an alley-oop or something but yeah i mean even looking at kaminsky and matching him up with the role that hernan gomez has on the timberwolves like you can kind of see the comparison between those two but at the same time kaminsky's got like five inches on Wancho. so five inches kaminsky does have some post moves yeah i mean he's got some the ability to play inside more than watch does, and he's got so much size. Yeah, yeah. And Wancho's just uh, strictly a, a three point shooting right. big man, you know, or or a cutter, you know, for like wide open wide open alley oops or um, you know just drives to the basket. But he's he's not the guy that's you're going to be able to pass the ball and do. He's going to make a couple moves and put it. If, if he catches the ball on the elbow, it'll be his first time. Right. I think in a Wolves uniform, like he's just that's just not his role. So, it, so I mean, it, yeah, like, you look at everybody on the Wolves bench, and there's an equivalent in Phoenix that is two to three inches on them, you know, and 30 pounds. Right. So I think that's the, the challenge. And it's just, you don't realize it until you start looking at the trends and you start really comparing the rosters. And it's not like, like I said, it's not the talent level. I don't think those guys are severely more talented than the wolves are. It's just the role. Some and the of type of yeah. And some of the age and yeah. they're filling out those, some of those guys, I mean, like when Kaminsky came into the league, he was pretty skinny. When Dario came in the league, he was pretty skinny. You know, they're just older, you know, mm-hmm. they're, 27, 28, 29 years old, and you're comparing him to Wancho, who's, what, 22, 23, however old he is. Um, you know, or, I mean, our oldest player on the bench is Jake Lehman, 
who's not as I mean, he's one of those guys that's four or five inches shorter than everybody we just mentioned from from Phoenix. Right. Uh, Who doesn't necessarily even have a large role in our team. No. Yeah. No, but I think he's good enough where he could. I think this year his role got sort of diminished because they were it was a lost season. and They're just trying to figure out what they got. And these young guys, you know, I don't think if the Wolves were hovering around 500 at the point they like Saunders going, they wouldn't have if they were 500. I mm-hmm. get that. But just let's say the expectations were higher. I think Jake Lehman would have been playing a lot more of those Vanderbilt and even Jaden McDaniels minutes. I mean, because I don't think Jaden McDaniels, they were expecting to be as good as he was, or no. they would have been playing no. him from the jump and they weren't. Um, but, you know, Lehman, when, whenever Lehman got on the floor, he outplayed most of the guys on this team. Yeah. Like I was, think, I think there are lots of teams that if Lehman was on the trade block this off season that he would look good on. Right. Yeah. He's a cheap, option yeah. can play you know so uh so i think frankly he's one of those guys i, w- I you know obviously you're not going to hold up a trade for a more valuable piece that can play bigger minutes mm-hmm. but layman's one of those guys i wouldn't actively shop him because w- he's one of the few guys that does have some experience who doesn't get you know the moment doesn't get too big for him at least in regulation games you know it's not like uh, we've seen him in the playoffs but um i just we need more guys like Jake Lehman is probably the yeah. best way to say it. You know, yeah. more role players like him. And and most of the role players, like you said, are, are G League guys, you know, from last year, like Jalen Noel mm-hmm. and um, Jordan McLaughlin. Guys I like a lot, but they're projects. They're not, you know, veterans. Like, that's the biggest thing to me that you look at these two lists of the two teams. You have a bunch of guys who have played on multiple different teams so that you know they can play in this league versus a bunch of guys, this is their first stop in the NBA, immediately called up from, you know, the yep. developmental league. And um, and then you have Ed Davis, who's one of those guys that looks like would be a name that would fit on Phoenix, but just wasn't the same guy this year. Yeah, he's just toast at this point. You know, so, yeah. I mean, it's like you said, you take a look at, you know, Jalen Noel and Jordan McLaughlin, two guys that either second round picks or undrafted played in the g league and are trying to get their chance in the nba and you look over at phoenix and two guys that don't even play on their roster are etuan moore and langston galloway guys that have you've known those names forever they've been on many different teams they've built out reputations as defenders and when they come in they can play their role you know you need role players you know and the timberwolves just have a bunch of guys who are still trying to figure out who they are in this league whether that's a 12th man or a starter or whatever it happens to be. They don't have anybody that's just able to come in and be a role player. Yeah. It's to me, you look at the Wolves roster and it looks to me like almost like what you do in fantasy. You say, okay, you know, fantasy football is probably a better cop, but you say, okay, I got my starters. I'm just going to take, go for home runs and all these, all my bench players. I'm not going to go for guys that I, that I think are going to be better than others. I'm going to go for the guys who are the only one this list of guys are the only ones that have a chance to become starters. Yeah. Whereas Phoenix's bench, none they got of those seven guys, Frank Gores is what they have. Right. Yeah. None of them are starters. They're yeah. all, but they're all guys that'll play. Yeah. On you a bye week and can put them in. You're going to get your 10 points. Yep. Right. Exactly. And we're playing that, you know, that if you're playing the daily leagues where you're just trying to figure out the best matchups, that's what we have on our bench. And so it's a lot, I, that's where I think just in the development of the rosters, why we're a year to, you know, I think a lot of those guys that we're talking about on the Wolves won't be here next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if they're going to make any roster changes, those are the type of guys that are going to be gone. I mean, Ed Davis for sure will be gone. But that Jarrett Culver's another one of those guys who's not even playing for the Wolves, let yeah. alone, you know, his, his, uh, 
counterpart in Phoenix. Uh, yeah, I mean, and oddly enough, they've got Jalen Smith over there, who's a rookie who barely played this year. He was another top 10 guy that they took. and But at the same time, they don't need him. I mean, he's a power forward in a team of 17, 17 power forwards. So they have a little bit more time to bring him along slowly, and nobody's expecting him to come in and be a savior at all. I mean, that's what... That you know, that's the tough spot that Culver got put into, especially with the fact that they traded up to get him. That was the really hard part. But on the flip side, we had two rookies that played a lot yeah. of minutes. Yeah, you know, who we got it this didn't year. Crumble, yeah. you know, and so, um, yeah, I, I just that that's the. It's not so much even a drafting like that they've all drafted us because I don't know they, they really have. You know, I mean, I mean, they like so said, they've gotten more out of uh, Cam Johnson than we have out of Culver. Right. Which which right. is unfortunate because that those are the picks that we swapped and they ended up picking later than we did so that's a, a clear loss I mean and you can't give you can't really put Edwards in there because that was the number one overall pick you have to get Minnesota credit there but if we got McLaughlin you know we he's obviously given us more than Jalen Smith has given Phoenix so you'll take that and you'll call it you know even and you walk away but the rest of their roster building has been ready to win you know that's the thing they knew they were ready they had that bubble season and they had the ability to to jump on that opportunity, you know, trading Rubio and Kelly Oubre for Chris Paul was that last move. And then bringing in, um, Jay Crowder at the mid level, you know, when he could see that there was a team ready to win that needed his, his, what he could contribute in the starting lineup. He knew that that was the right team for him, even though a team like Minnesota was also trying to convince him to sign. Why would he have come here when he had the opportunity in Phoenix? So that, that's a perfect segue to the point I was going to bring up, which is your point about, Kelly Oubre and Rubio being traded for Chris Paul because Oubre looked like a pretty good player mm-hmm. for Phoenix. Like he, he looked like he had a, a pretty good fit there. Um, and where would you, the comp for me for Oubre would be Beasley. Right. With the Wolves, right? So if we're looking at their path to success, then Beasley has to be one of those pieces that we trade away to get, a guy that fits this team better. Be- Beasley was our, you know, you, you and I both said it multiple times, our second best player for the first half of the season. Yep. And, um, and then second half of the season he was out. So we don't really know like he, where he would have fit with Ant and Towns and D'Lo all on the court. Um, but he looks like a guy that you can't just, you, know, you don't want to dismiss, you don't want to relegate him to just being a sixth man because he's a starter on, you know, mm-hmm. 15 teams in the league right now and maybe more. And so to me, that's the guy you have to maximize the return on by trading him. Now he's still young. Yep. He's, he provides a skill that I mean, he's our best three point shooter outside of maybe towns and would be an elite three point shooter on, on any team, which all teams are looking for. So to me, he has a lot of value, probably more value than even Ubre had. Um, so like to, to fit this Phoenix roadmap to me, like what veterans can the wolves add by trading a guy like Beasley and, and to your point earlier about the guys that we've been rumored to be interested in, like the, the Collins is the Simmons, um, Miles Turner, third, Miles Turner. Yep. Those guys aren't really don't fit the same mold of a Chris Paul, right? No. You know, Simmons maybe, because I think Simmons is good enough where he transcends the experience. Thing. Plus he's got more experience than anybody else on the wolves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say that Simmons is the only one whose current reputation is lower than is potentially lower than his value, which like, is exactly which is where Chris Paul was and Jay Crowder. Yep. You know, well, I don't Jay know if Jay, I, I mean, 
I would be surprised if Jay Crowder, if anybody could get him for the mid-level again, if he was a free agent again this offseason. But well, that's what I'm saying. Last yeah. year, the, his his yeah. reputation was lower when they got him. Most teams were thinking, oh, he's washed. He's not the same Jay Crowder that Boston had, for example. No. Uh, because, you know, Cleveland kind of took a hurt his reputation a little bit in that trade because Cleveland wasn't winning, you know, which is why I don't always get caught up in that this guy has never won because it's like, well, yeah, if you're in a crappy situation, you're not going to win. It doesn't matter how good you are. Right. Um, so, you know, like finding guys that are devalued right now, like a Kemba Walker right now, I think is really devalued. And I think some team's going to get them and everybody's going to be like, well, look at, look at Kimbo Walker having this research. Well, it's like, well, he was ridiculously good two years ago when Boston got him. It mm-hmm. looked like a for Boston when they got him. And, you know, it just wasn't, it was a bad fit. So it's finding those guys that have that low stock right now. They get now Simmons, you're right. has a lower stock rate at the moment, but at the same time, he's so young and it's, there's, there's so much hype behind him since he's coming to the league that by the time he's moved, I still think it's going to be for a haul, whatever right. it, it will be. I mean, and maybe like maybe that Hall is is the Rubio and Beasley and two picks type deal that we've been talking about. Like I said, I would still be surprised if that was um, if that ended up being what they settle on because it's it's never what you think it's going to be. First of right. all, and right. somebody's going to come in and want Ben Simmons more than that. So um, it's just a matter of I I don't know what the answer is. I mean I. Before we did our last uh, podcast where we took a look at uh, the different power forwards and the trade options, you know, I would have put a guy like Al Horford on the list um, to be the the big man equivalent of a Chris Paul, somebody that can step in and still contribute, but at the same time be the veteran presence, be a guy that's been around for a long time, and hopefully, you know, have the talent to really help a team win. Uh, but then he was traded right back to, to Boston before we even got in the air, so... Um, I don't know who the equivalent of that would be. I mean, like you said, Kemba's a guy that could make an impact on a team that's trying to win for the first time. Um, and there, I think there are a couple other guards because there are just more guards in the league, but it's harder when you get to the power forwards. And there are a bunch of younger options. You know, Even Porzingis, who you brought up last time, would be a guy that you could get for the potential of having more you know, more value than what you would have to trade to get him. But, uh, but he's still a guy in a max contract and who has never actually won before. So he's not filling that veteran role either. No, I, that that was exactly why I, I had him in that scenario. Because all the scenarios I was looking at last week when we were talking about that, I was trying to find these Phoenix guys, like those types of players. And that's why, like, a Nerlens Noel. Again, he, he doesn't fit the Chris Paul or Jay Crowder either because he hasn't been a meaningful part on a winning team either. But he, I think he showed enough in New York this year that he, he's got value and he's a good fit mm-hmm. type guy next to Towns because he can change our defense and our hurry paul Millsap's another one but Millsap, again, i mean Millsap is starting to look a little washed i mean that's the problem but he's also a free agent he's a guy that's known as a great defender he would fit at a power forward position so he's a guy i could see that you that they might target if they're really looking for a veteran to come in and help change the culture and could start at yep. least for a year on this team um you know until he's a you know, if you strike out on the big names if you're not bringing in a 25 30 million dollar power forward he's a guy that hopefully maybe you could draw away from denver that or the other one, I, other scenario I, I saw was if you end up having to trade D'Lo for Simmons, mm-hmm. and Simmons is your point guard, you're still getting a power forward. Maybe you can get Millsap to come here with the promise that okay, you're going to start a power forward with Ben Simmons, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Jane McDaniel's. 
that might look more appealing to him than to be playing a backup role in Denver or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other guy through again, another one that's not a winner, not a proven winner or anything, but could be a guy whose value is low right now, who you can get cheap, would be Andre Drummond, who I know you're not as big a fan of. But again, he's another guy that immediately helps your rebounding. He can protect the rim a little bit better than than Cat. And, and I think you can get him cheap. He could be a guy that you can get in addition to a trade, potentially. I know yeah. he's already yeah. mentioned that he wants to go back to L.A. and play with LeBron. Um, so, you know, they would he's likely looking at a mid-level exception if he's going to go back to LA because they're not going to, you know, spend the money on, on him. Well, they don't even, they won't even have it, but yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up in LA. It really seemed like they kind of had an agreement with him when he, when he went there that they would give him the, the time necessary on the floor, even to be a centerpiece of their team moving forward. So, um, I mean, if he leaves, then yeah, he'd give you size, he'd give you rebounding. He'd allow cat to switch more in the perimeter. I don't, I don't think he's as good defensively as his shot blocking numbers in the past would lead you to believe. Uh, and you really need to find a way to mix him into what you do on offense. But um, if he could fill the Jared Vanderbilt role on offense, you know, be a little bit better as a role man. Uh, but, and then, you know, then you just need cat to take over more of the perimeter centric, you know, big role. So, right. uh, which is something that I've talked about, something that, you know, we've, we've, been rumored to be looking into siding him to the power forward a little bit more often if they get a true big but um but i don't know i mean do you bring in a guy like rudy gay who's been with san antonio for a while you know he's he's kind of reshaped himself as a a stretch four um and he's been you know playing alongside aldridge and DeRozan for a long time you know in the pop system maybe he could come in be more of a veteran i know that earlier in his career he was always a the antithesis of uh, a successful player he was kind of more of a, a a jacker than a, a success than a winning player, but he's kind of reshaped himself. I know Jeff Green is probably going to resign in Brooklyn, but who knows what their tax bill looks like? I, I honestly don't even know what his contract is, so maybe he's not even a free agent. Um, but you know, if you were going to make a trade, a trade offer, you know, I you could look at guys like Rudy Gay and Jeff Green if you're really just trying to fill that power forward hole. Um, yeah, and he seems like he's in that Millsap category where he he looks more washed to yeah. me. Um, you know, he's in a role there where he's comfortable and like, you know, I, if I had to put bet money on a guy who I think could have a resurgence, like, uh, Jay Crowder, for example, because Chris Paul was older and he's never looked washed. He's always the guy that everybody, right. he's like, you just Tom assume Brady. he's going to fall off. Yeah, yeah. He's the Tom Brady of the NFL or yeah. of the NBA where everybody's assuming, okay, this is the year he just, you know, drops way off in production. Um, but he doesn't. And Crowder has... It, 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 he last year he didn't look so washed, but previously he did, and so he, um, I, I think that's why they were able to get him as cheap as they did. Yeah, that's the kind of guy I'm looking for. Where he's, you know, they're still, you know, right around the 30 year age mark. So they're, you know, I don't. Rudy Gay's got to be at 37. I mean, he's he's been around a while. I don't have to, his. Um, yeah, he's getting up there. One second, he is 30. He's 34. But oh. Well, he's, so yeah, maybe he, maybe uh, maybe I'm second second guess that then because maybe I would be more yeah. interested in him knowing that. If for some reason I was expecting him to be older. Yeah, Rudy Gay and Jeff Green are only 11 days apart. They're both uh, almost 35 here, um, born in 1986. I mean, you know, you take a look at um, we mentioned Paul Millsap. He's 36 and a half, so he's he'll be 37 next season. He's really really reaching that point where you assume the drop off is coming. You know, kind of like 
we just saw out of Marcus Sol. He's about the, he's almost exactly the same age as Paul Millsap. He's just not quite the same player, and they're just assuming that he's going to be a veteran presence. He's playing more of the Ricky Rubio role for L.A. now than he is an actual contributor on the floor, So, um, especially with all the different bigs they have. But I don't know. It's a tough conundrum to solve because there isn't a Chris Paul every year, Which and if there was, then championships would be switching every year. So, um, but the, you know, the Timberwolves need to make a move. They need to figure out what that power forward position is going to look like. I don't think it's going to be somebody that they have on the roster. Um, they'll fill it one way or another. And I, I would still be shocked if they actually brought in a Simmons or a Turner or a, a Collins because that's just a hard move to make. It's not easy to bring on that level of salary, with, especially with the guys they have on their current roster. So um, there, there are guys out there. There are other options. And it'll be interesting to see if they value veterans, if they start to look towards winning, or if they continue to try to, like you said, hit the home run with every single roster spot and go with a young guy who, hasn't, who they think has more upside than they've shown in, the, in their current spot. And that that would be you know what what's a team you know Utah sort of homegrown, um, who just kind of had the patience to finally you know and then they were best record in the league mm-hmm. this year, um, so th- you know maybe that is. They is also the brought I, in Conley and Bogdanovich though, like those are two true. two big signings that they brought in from out from outside once they realized they were ready to win. Yeah, and, and Conley was hurt so much that he was sort of in and out of the lineup, but yeah. and you know maybe that would have made a difference if he was healthy for the playoffs. Um, Another free agent. Right. Yeah. And his value was low when they got him. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, he's well, a, well, I was well, saying he's a free agent this year again. Right. Right. Yeah. But when, when Utah got him, they, they got him when Memphis was sort of like, oh, he's. Yeah. They made a trade. Memphis was going to go in a different direction. Yep. And, well, yeah. So he they didn't pay top dollar for him when they got him. And, and that's kind of what the Wolves need to do. That's what all small market teams have to do. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the, the top free agents because. You know, if the money's the same, they're going to pick the the better situation, which is, you know, winning first, weather second, and whatever else. You know, taxes third. But um, with a guy like Conley, you know, if you can find a guy like that, where, um, you know, now that you kind of jar my my brain about him thinking of him as a free agent, that might be what Philly does. You know, maybe they're trading Simmons for a different spot on the team, and then bringing Conley in to be that point guard. You know, right, for, I mean, Conley and Lowry could both kind of fill that role if you, because they'd have to do a sign and trade one way or another to have their their current Roth team sign right. them and trade them over. Lowry so. would probably cost more still, um, so you know they could they could get one big player in a Simmons deal mm-hmm. and then get Conley in a smaller deal that they're not giving up as much right. capital, you know, to get them. So I don't know, I don't know what direction they're going to go in, but I, I mean, call me crazy, I don't think there's a huge gap in where the Timberwolves are heading and where the Suns are right now it's just trying to figure out how to play you know who's going to play that Chris Paul role I mean if if we say that D'Angelo Russell is as valuable to the Timberwolves as Jay Crowder is to Phoenix and with the roles that they play and the the defensive gap I I would say is probably closer than we want to admit I mean I know that Russell's been a a one-time all-star and Crowder has never been even been considered an all-star but the, what he contributes to winning I'd say that Russell's got a little ways to go before he can clearly make you know separate himself from from that level um so but we need i don't know we need somebody like chris paul even if it's not completely at that chris paul level to come in and, and fill that last spot in the starting lineup to really bring this thing home yeah that and then in the bench players you need guys that know yeah. how to play so like to me if you're swapping out if we if we swap out you know the wancho for you since i know you're not as big as fan get him out the of here Culver's, Jared Culver's, um, 
pick let's pick on one other guy just to swap out you know let's say Okogie mm-hmm. and you bring in three guys who have long playoff records of yeah. just playing in the playoffs I don't care if they're you know if they make it every year they play seven game series and are bounced just having that experience of being on the floor in the playoffs knowing how to win to get to the playoffs right if you just swap out those three for three veteran players I mean our starting lineup usually outplayed every team's starting lineup this year right it was our bench that for the most part would let the wolves down we're all of a sudden you're you know you you, you go to the bench and you're up seven mm-hmm. and then the starters come back and you're down 13 you know it's like those types of things would happen a lot um so if you just get a bench that can hold serve um and and do that with veterans i i also i think you're talking you know 10 or 12 more wins just right there right that, that's out the the ants and the McDaniels and even a Delo and and Towns getting any better, you know. Yep, I think we have to bank on some internal growth as well. So I mean, even to get to where we want to be, we have to. We're assuming that Edwards and McDaniels can get to the level of Booker and uh, Bridges. So it's that's not a given. You know, it's not a guarantee that they'll get there. We have to just assume that they're going to continue to grow along the pattern that we've seen them grow in their first year in the league, but. Uh, as a as optimistic Timberwolves fans, somebody that's you know, if we've been doing this for 31 years, we got to keep doing it. We got to keep assuming that the brighter days are ahead. So um, it's an interesting exercise. Hopefully, that the Wolves can not only bump up, beef up the roster to be a competitor, but find that right year where things just kind of all fall their way. So uh, fingers crossed, and uh, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch this summer to see, you know, one to. It, chase down all the rumors that will for sure be coming out mm-hmm. and then just you know finding out what we do i mean it's like do we dra- trade for a draft pick so we were still involved in the draft um you know you still, you have that that'll be the first chip that falls and then once the draft is come and gone then all of a sudden i think things will really heat up in terms of you know all their trades and it may be right at the draft because there's gonna be picks involved as well but um I mean, right now we don't even have a pick in the draft, so I just I think there'll be some wheeling and dealing before the draft. Yep. That won't be the big move, you know, likely. Um, but we'll see. Very good, Chad. Thanks for coming on again. We'll be back next week. Uh, it's been another episode of Howl History. Peace out. Right. Take care.